All right. I asked for a little pump-up music this morning. In my mind's eye, I still picture myself as a basketball player. Uh, so I'm sure some of you, if any of you were Michael Jordan fans out there, you're thinking, and now, from North Carolina. That was the uh, Chicago Bulls pump-up music uh, from back in the 90s. So wanted to get uh, wanted to get us in the right headspace to get started this morning. My name is Jesse Tightsworth. I'm uh, pleased to be with you here this morning. Uh, I, I'm an auctioneer, and, uh, and and when you're an auctioneer, you tell people you meet new people. You tell them that you're an auctioneer. Uh, you, you tend to get kind of a certain set of reactions to that information. Now, there's some people who have no no you know comprehension of what that like. They've never been to an auction, so they're you know they're kind of just like, oh, okay, that's all right. But but some people, and, and this happens to me quite a bit. Some people they come with the jokes. They just come with the jokes right off the video as soon as they meet you. So, you know, they, you know, maybe they've seen it on television or they've uh, been to an auction once, bef- once before, something like that. And, and I was, oh, so you're an auctioneer, huh? So, like, at an early age, like when you were a little kid, could you talk really fast and you could like eat an ice cream like really, really quickly, like hum and hum and hum and hum and hum and hum. And this is me. No. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Or, or another one, you know, you know, I'll say I'm an auctioneer, you'll meet someone new, and they're like, oh, man, I bet you win every fight with your wife, don't you? Because then you guys get into an argument, you can just start going humming, 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 Again, no, that's not how this works. But some people, some people, the really bold ones, you know, some people, you know, they, they hear that I'm an auctioneer, and they give me one of these. So can you do the thing? Can, let's see it. Can can you give us a little taste? Can you give me a little, you know, a little, a little uh, show? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it for you, you know, just right now, right? You need a set, certain set of circumstances. You need something to sell, and it's a weird thing to ask for, right? I mean, if I meet an accountant, I don't automatically come up to them. You're an accountant? Okay, okay. What's 89 divided by 14 times 4 minus 11? Or if I meet someone who's, you know, says that they work at Dunkin' Donuts, I'm like, all right, mess up my coffee order, mess up my coffee order. What do you got for me? You know, tell me. But I tell you this to let you know, I'm an auctioneer. After every time that I speak, my, my wife always comes back with the same criticism. You talked a little fast up there, she always says. And, it, and it's not because I'm an auctioneer. I just, when I get going, when I get excited, I know that I, I know that I tend to speak a little bit quickly. So I'm going to really focus on bringing the level of diction down, slow it down a little bit. But in my mind, like we all have other stuff to do today. It's a beautiful day outside, I'm sure. If I, if I can't be good up here, I'd like to at least be brief. So uh, that's what I'm aiming for. Uh, this morning. So we're going to be continuing in our series this morning in Psalm 3, uh, continuing in the series, Kiss the Sun. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you'd like to open up to that psalm, uh, you can do that uh, right along with me. There we go. So I only have two points this morning, only two points. How does that sound? Um, it, this passage is about relational crisis, and there's two observations that I think that we can take away from it. The first is how to avoid it. How do we avoid uh, finding our, ourselves in a circumstance of relational crisis? And the second is how do we handle it if we should find ourselves uh, in that spot? So before we get into the passage this morning, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for this opportunity uh, to get, gather together, as Randy said, for this place where we can... Uh, join in uh, to look into the scriptures to see what they might have for us. I just pray that 
right now that you would uh, quiet our minds, that we would put aside the distractions of the week behind and before, uh, that we might hear your voice. I ask this morning that you would quiet uh, my voice, that we might hear yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you're looking at the scripture this morning, uh, I'd like you to take notes of the very beginning. It says there's a title to this psalm, and it says it's a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now, as I got into preparing for this message, I, 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 as I was looking into it, I, I discovered that this isn't like some of the other notations that you may find in your Bible. Well, we know that verses, chapters, some of the titles, uh, those are uh, things that are done by the interpreters of the Bible. Uh, things that they have a lot that put in there to help us be able to navigate through a little bit better. But this is a little bit different. This was actually a part of the Hebrew, the original Hebrew of this particular psalm. And so as I was looking into it, I thought it warranted a little bit of a closer look. And uh, having been in church, and I'm sure uh, many of you have been in church uh, maybe uh, through your lifetime, uh, I I had a vague sense of what the life of Absalom was like and his interaction with King David. But um, I wanted to start this morning by kind of giving a little bit of a summary of what Absalom's like, because I I really want to focus in on on some of the things uh, that... uh, that uh, happened uh, previous to this psalm uh, so that we can take a little bit of a closer look. <clears throat> so kind of the quick flyover view of Absalom's life. He was born into somewhat of a political theater. He was born of one of six sons uh, when David was in Hebron. And this was before uh, David had ascended to the king. Uh, to the throne in Jerusalem. He was uh, kind of gathering power as there was a transition of power going from Saul's family to his own. Um, so he was born into this circumstance where of royal bloodline, uh, but he was, uh, you know, his mother was given in marriage as a way to kind of consolidate power um, as a sign of uh, cooperation with other uh, groups of that time. And he was one of six sons that was born into Hebron, not to mention uh, all the daughters. So kind of in an unusual circumstance where, again, he, he had this royal lineage, this royal bloodline, but uh, was one of many uh, you know, brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters that would have been in that same circumstance. And he experienced tragedy uh, early on in his life when his, uh, his sister, his blood sister, uh, was abused, uh, forced by his half-brother Amnon. Uh, and, and, and he was aware of this had happened. It created, it created a deep sense of hurt and pain in his life, uh, so much so that afterwards, after uh, the shame and disgrace of his sister uh, being forced, um, she, uh, he actually hatched a plan to gather all of his half-brothers together in one place, and at a certain time, uh, he, he gave orders to his men. He had a, a little group of his own. He gave orders uh, to have his own half-brother uh, murdered. After this, Absalom is kind of set off into a little bit of an exile. He kind of flees. He, he knows that he's, been in trouble. he's in trouble. He's got to get away. So he goes off, uh, spends some years on his own. But then he, he has this deep uh, sense of uh, desire to be close and connected with David. Uh, he, he wants to get closer to you. Again, he, he's a handsome man. The Bible describes him as a natural leader. He's got a big, uh, big thick head of hair. Everyone always comes up to him and, and just recognizes in him this, this uh, attractive quality. And so he thinks that it's his very destiny uh, that he ought to rise to power. And so he back channels to get closer to David. But even as he's allowed to get back uh, into, into um, David's myths, D- David always kind of keeps him at arm's length. He, he never welcomes him in. He, he never gives him that close relationship that Absalom so desperately wants. And because of this, because he's never able to quite get there through a relationship with David, he hatches this plan to kind of go around him. 
So while he's there in the city, he, for four years, camps outside the city gate. And as people are coming to David to seek an audience with the king, he, he intercepts them. He, he comes up to them and, and he says, tell me what your complaint is. So let me know what, what you would like to bring before the king. Maybe I can help you. And, and when they give him what they'd like to tell to the king, he's like, you know, if I was king, it wouldn't be this way. If I were the one ruling here in Israel, I would have a different way of doing things. You'd have a voice. You would have, a, you would have influence uh, here in the ruling of the Hebrew people. And over the course of four years, he does this repeatedly, day after day, winning the hearts of the people and planting the seeds of rebellion amongst them. So as we look at the story of Absalom and his life in summary, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and now bear with me, I listened to four different sermons on Psalm 3. None of them went in this direction. So just you know, hang in there with me on this one. But as I look at this passage and I review Absalom's life, the thing that really stands out is the blatant absence of David. I mean, we look at these stories, right? You, you, you hear the things that have happened to him, the, you know, the abuse of his sister, the murder of his own half-brother, him you know, politically moving to, to get back into power, th- things like this. In all of this, the, the scriptures very plainly tell us, and, and I have some of the references up there on the screen, that David knew about it. He knew what was happening. He knew about uh, what happened to his daughter, Tamar. And he's, the scripture said that he was furious. But nothing after that. When he heard the news that Absalom had murdered Ab- Abnon, it said the king stood up. He tore his clothes, and he laid down on the ground. An odd reaction from a father. So you wouldn't expect this, right? If you knew that there was such strife and discord with your own, within your own family, certainly you would think that David, being the king, he had absolute power to do whatever he wished. He could have gathered his children to him, or he could have gone to them himself. But no, his absence, I believe, is very telling. Now, David has this unique uh, ability throughout uh, the stories of his life. As he, he sets an example for us, and, and sometimes it's an example that we should follow. But here we see an example that we should not. And I think that the thing that stands out to me most is that David has an opportunity here. He has the opportunity to speak and minister into the life of his sons by, by being passive, by not getting involved. He misses that very opportunity. And I think that it's plain to see that this is not what God would have for us. As I consider this story, the life of Absalom, the life of David, and I, and I think it, we know that this is not what God would want for us to do because we know the heart of God is to draw near to the people that need the most help, the people that are downtrodden, the, the people that are brokenhearted, the people that are going through challenging things in their life. God's not up in heaven saying, oh man, Jesse got into it again. I've got to deal with this guy again. How, how does he get himself into the circumstances? No, when God sees us with broken hearts, his desire is to, is to draw near. And we can see that uh, later on in the Psalms. In Psalm 34, 18, it says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So we ask ourselves, how does God do this? How does God want to come near to those that need support, that, that are vulnerable? How, how does God want to reach out and minister to those people? Well, we look, and we know this, again, from 1 Corinthians twelve twelve. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all those members are of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We know that we're called to be the hands and feet of God. We know that we're called to do the ministry of the will of God. We're called to get involved in the circumstances that might be a little bit uncomfortable. We're called to recognize the needs and hurt and pain in other people's lives and do more than just observe, but to actually get involved. 
And we can see that the crisis that arises in the relationship between David and Absalom is a direct result from the absence of David. He was never willing to get involved. He was always busy doing other things. He never made it a priority, a priority for his own son. Now, we live in an age of Facebook wall posts, right? We get notifications when birthdays come up. We live in an age of carefully chosen gifts to be sent as text messages, you know, for calls to have instant access to other people. But one of the things that's really a, a tragedy, and, and with all this technology, is there's this inverse relationship between the value of connection and communication and its velocity, Right? We, we just know this. Right? The, the longer, the, the faster that communication is, the, the faster that something goes, the easier it is to get in touch with someone, the less that it really means. And I think that we have this, this way of fooling ourselves into thinking that just because I've, I've reached out to someone, just because I, I acknowledge this event or acknowledge this thing in their life was actually happening, that's enough. We fool ourselves into thinking that I don't have to go out of my own way to uh, make an, an impact in someone else's lives. So some of you may be asking, I, I, I agree with this, Jesse. I know that we're called to get involved. I know that we have the responsibility to be God's hands and feet, but, but I'm not exactly sure when to do this. I know that there are moments in our lives, but I, I'm not exactly sure when am I being called, or, or maybe I should give some people some space, or you know, may, maybe it's just not my thing. Well, it occurs to me, there, there's a few instances uh, that I think that are easy to recognize. Instances that we will likely encounter in, in this very year. That if we are responsive, if we're willing to take that relational step, we can have a real impact and avoid some of the downfalls when people are alone. In birth and death, and it's hard. It's hard to do. These are the moments when time is just frozen. When we hear about a birth, when we hear about a death, these are the moments when people remember where they were when. Where they remember that the people that were around them, they remember the things that were said and all the events that took place. And more than just that memory, this is the time when they start asking big questions. They ask themselves, what now? Where do I go from here? How do I handle this thing? And in these moments... I think that if we are willing to take the step forward, if we're willing to get involved with people in a real, in a real way, if we're willing to do the simple things, offer a shoulder to cry on, a word of encouragement, we'll find that the people that we encounter in these circumstances have let their defenses down in a way that they often don't. They're more open to spiritual things than most of the time they may be. Now, some of you are thinking, groundbreaking stuff, right? Jesse thinks that we should get in touch with people that are hurting, right? We should reach out to the young mothers who just have kids. No, this isn't, I get that this is not new news. But that's not exactly what I'm talking about, right? We know we should do that, right? We should go to the hospital to congratulate a new mom. Or we should go to that funeral that week. But that's the easy part. What I'm talking about is that next step. You know, a month later, a young mom who's struggling with nursing, a young mom who is bearing the weight of feeling alone, of caring for this new young person that, when maybe she's put her career aside. Or a month later when someone is dealing with a loss, when they're getting back into their normal life and all of a sudden they realize the person that they had relied on and depended on wasn't there anymore. These are the times, those are the moments, 
when if you're willing to set aside your schedule, be interrupted uh, from your normal day-to-day and put forth that level of effort to give them a call, to go see them, not a text, not a carefully chosen gif, but real connection, real connection. The second area where I think that we can uh, that we can uh, really connect with people is a little less obvious and maybe a little bit harder to do as well. Because when I think that one of the ways that we can most powerfully impact is when we display a willingness to step out of ourselves and take the focus off of ourselves and really consider what someone else may be going through. And the trigger here, and, and this is what I really wanted to, to focus in on, the trigger here is your own pain. When you're going through something hard, or, or you're in a part of a community that's dealing with a loss, or you're, you're a part of something, you know, you're in your family, and you can see there's, there's relational strife between one of your siblings, one of your parents, a close friend. When, when you see that thing happening, and you recognize this thing is causing me pain, and you take a second to take the focus off of yourself, and just ask yourself the question, I, I wonder how this is hitting someone else. I wonder how that person is dealing with the same set of circumstances that I know that's been such a challenge to me. And this isn't an opportunity to find the right words or to come up with some really great advice. No, this is an opportunity to ask a question, to check in and say, hey, I I know that this thing has been hard for me, and I realize it must be hard for you too. How are you doing with it? How, How are you processing this new thing? I can say from firsthand experience uh, that very recently this happened to me. Um, Derek left our church, and when he, did, when he uh, our, our old pastor, when he left and he gave the news, I really struggled uh, with how to respond to that information. He and I had been serving together uh, for many, many years, and he and I had formed a close relationship, and, and I was really struggling with navigating through what this meant for me and my position in the church, what this meant for the ministry of our family, but then also what it meant to have the loss of a friend. And, and for several weeks, I really battled, you know, kind of feelings of, you know, support for what he wanted to do, but then the personal toll that it was taking on me. And I was very inward focused and uh, trying to, you know, sort through how I would respond, how I would react. And I can remember I was traveling for work one day and I was driving uh, down a country road. And I got a phone call uh, from a friend, James. And he called me up and he said, hey, I heard about Derek leaving. And it got me thinking, I, I bet this is going to really affect you. And he just asked me some questions about what I was going through and, and how I was handling it and, 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 and just showed a real level of care. And, and you know, in this circumstance, you know, my relationship with Derek was completely separate uh, from any of my relationship with James. But James knew about what was going on, and he thought to himself, I wonder how Jesse's doing with that. And it was really, really powerful. It, 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 was a, it was an unusual step in our relationship, but it, was, it, it really showed me the way that he cared about me, that I wasn't in the circumstance alone, and that he was willing to take that step of getting involved in the circumstance with me. So I'd like to ask you right now this morning, do you have any circumstances in your own life where it's a challenging relational dynamic, maybe with a sibling, Maybe with a parent, maybe with a coworker. Maybe you know of something that's going on that's really creating strife. I'd ask you to consider, is there someone else who may be experiencing the same thing? Is there, is there someone else who's going through a difficult and challenging time that maybe instead of looking at how this may affect you, you could connect with them?
I think it's in these seminal moments that I've described, at birth and death, and in, in relational crisis, in, in these challenging times, these are the moments where connection with someone else in a real and meaningful way can really change the course for how someone may handle them. And I think that's evidence here in Absalom and David's life. When David was absent, he lost this opportunity to have a positive impact, to steer Absalom in the direction of God, to give him sound counsel. I think this morning we ought to examine, are there, are there relationships and times in our own lives now where we can take advantage of that opportunity? Now, I'd like to turn my attention to the text now to see if we're unable to avoid this relational crisis. If something has gotten out of hand and we're, we're, we find ourselves in a spot where we're in deep conflict uh, with someone close to us, what do we do? How, how do we handle that? So let's, let's go to the text. I'm going to read it here for you. Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are the shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, I have only one observation uh, to make from the actual reading of this passage. And I think that David displays a remarkable focus on the truth of his circumstance. And as you look at those verses, each one is kind of broken down into two couplets, one and two, three and four, and so on. And in the first one, we can see that God, as, he come, as David comes before God in prayer, he tells the truth of his circumstances. He's not sugarcoating it. He knows how dire things are. Absalom is literally on the field of battle, driving him out of his very own city. And he, he tells God that things do not look good. But then he reminds himself about who God is, that God is his shield, his comforter, his, his, his uh, comforter in the circumstances. So he, he comes before it, and it's not total focus on the circumstance, but he reminds himself of what God has done for him. And then he also reminds himself of the daily mercy, mercies, that even though the circumstances look bad, he's able to find rest. He's able to wake up in the morning. He, he's still surrounded by his household and his family. He tells the truth about who he is. And then this is the amazing part of David. And something I, I think is very characteristic in a lot of his psalms is that he's just blatantly honest about what he's asking for. It, it, it's an unusual thing. It, Strike my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. He's not mixing words here. He wants to defeat the enemy. And, and I think that that's often why David is referred to a man after God's own heart, because he had that heart of honesty and of truth, and he wasn't afraid to come to God and speak that exact same thing to him. Now, th- this is a very, very powerful thing, and I think the, the thing that uh, really stands out for us, this is a different kind of scripture. And as, as I read and I was doing some preparation uh, for this work, uh, this quote kind of kept on coming up. I saw it in different places, and I wanted to share it with you. It's a quote from Athanasius, and it says, Most of scripture speaks to us, and the Psalms speak for us. And I thought that was a powerful thing, because that, that, that's really true, that this, this is a, a scripture where if we couldn't find the words to say, if we were finding ourselves in a difficult relational circumstance, that this is one that we could just pray directly to God. 
Now, what I didn't realize is this was actually a paraphrasing of a larger text. And so I looked at the larger text, and I thought that it was worth sharing with you as well. So I'd like to read an excerpt. Again, this is from Athanasius, a 4th century theologian. And among all the books, the Psalter has certainly a very special grace, a choiceness of quality well worthy to be pondered. For besides the characteristics which it shares with others, it has a peculiar marvel of its own, that within it are represented and portrayed in all the great variety of the movements of the human soul. It's like a picture in which you see yourself portrayed and seeing may understand and consequently form yourself upon the pattern given. Elsewhere in the Bible, you read only of the law that commands this or that to be done. You listen to the prophets to learn of the Savior's coming, or you turn to the historical books to learn the doings of kings and holy men. But in the Psalter, besides all these things, you learn about yourself. You find depicted in it all the movements of your soul, all its changes, its ups and downs, its failures and recoveries. Moreover, whatever your particular need or trouble from this same book, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you do not merely hear and then pass on, but you learn the way to remedy your ill. And it's a powerful thing that David does here because it taps into the power of prayer. And this is really the beauty of prayer, right? It's multifaceted. And as I consider prayer and as I consider the things that are happening here, it's important to recognize that there's a movement to prayer. There's a, there's a real direction that goes in prayer. When we, when we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance, and, and instead of trying to get involved or trying to come up with the right plan, if, if we stop what we're doing and we turn to God in prayer, first our heart goes upwards. We're recognizing that God is the source, that God is sovereign over all things. And when we place that in, on our hearts and our minds, it gives us a humility to align our thoughts and minds with him. And so our prayer goes up as we turn our attention to the heavens and off the things of this world that gives us a different perspective, a different level of priority. And then as we do that, that prayer comes down and it gives us the opportunity as we have that humble heart, as we're able to ask ourselves, is there a role that I have played in this circumstance? Is there some area where I have, uh, I have missed the boat or I have not been Christ-like uh, in a particular manner? How can I change myself? What responsibility do I bear in this circumstance? And, and once we've done that, then the power comes in. We know the power of prayer. We know that God tells us that through par- prayer, things are possible to change. And David shows, David shows this here beautifully on how to respond in a relational crisis in our lives. And, and some of you may be thinking, I, I, I know all this, I know all this, but what do I do? What do I do, right? I've I got to get involved. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a spot. I'm, in a, I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place. What do I do? You know, parents, you, you may have a, be struggling with a child who is ever a yes to your no, just ever contrary to the things that you have uh, taught them, that you've brought them up. I tell you, go to God in prayer. Students, maybe there's a classmate who seems to find particular joy in causing you misery. And maybe it's a coworker, maybe, but maybe there's a bully in your life who, who you just ever think is just sitting at home thinking of new ways that they might torment you. I tell you, go to God in prayer. Friends, is there a relationship in your life right now, here today, that's just off, tack, off track? Someone with whom you share a history, that you share a bond with, and, and it seems like so long since you've had a relational connection and, and, and a, a real closeness. And you look back at your history and you think, how did we get to the point that we're in right now? 
If that's the position you find yourselves in, I tell you, go to God in prayer. I think this is the very reason that God gives this psalm here in Psalm 3. He asks us to come to him with truth and with honesty. For we know that God wants to draw near to the brokenhearted. And we know that through the power of prayer, that things can change. James 2, I'm sorry, James 4, 2 tells us that you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And, and the very problem that is described here is solved by the solution of prayer. As I said, as that prayer moves up, we align with him. And as our, as our desires are aligned with him, that's when he wants to come. That's when he will show up. When we are doing his will, when we're subjugating our own desires, our own will to what he has for us in our lives, that's when we see God move in a meaningful and powerful way. Now, this is an interesting time to be talking about relational crisis. An interesting time to be talking about connection in general. Because we're just coming out of COVID. And I don't know, I don't know about you. Uh, but I feel like I keep on having the same conversation in everywhere that I go. When we go out to dinner with friends or uh, we, we, over the last few weeks and few months, we've, we've gone to see some, some people that we haven't si- seen in a while. And, and we keep on having this conversation of, man, this is the first time I've seen you since six months, a year, maybe a year and a half. And everywhere I go, and on all these different relationships, or we talk about this is the first time I've been to this restaurant, or this is the first time since, since when? And I think that built up within us now, as we're coming out of this season of lockdown, coming out of this season of isolation, that more and more there's this desire for connection in a real and meaningful way. I got to say, I was really struck. Just two weeks ago, we had the going away party uh, at our home uh, for uh, Derek and his family. And it was hot that day. I'm sure a lot of you were there, right? It was like 85 degrees. We didn't have any food. Caleb and I were talking ahead of time, like, do you think people are going to come for half hour, 45 minutes, kind of come and go? It's just too hot to be outside, to spend a whole Sunday afternoon outside. And you guys were there, right? I mean, the party went from three to seven. I think Randy was there till 10 playing cornhole. I mean, he was just going from yard game to yard game to yard. I mean, it, it, and, and it's, I, I'm joking around, but it was beautiful to see, right? And I think that it was because there's this desire within us to connect with other people. And as, as we start to be around one another, we have this realization. It kind of washes over you. Man, I haven't been here in a while. I haven't seen these people. It's just good to be connected with other people. And I think that, that positions us in Grace Life Church in a, in a unique spot. I think as we have been talking and sharing about it, as, as we're coming out of COVID, we also, we're coming away from Derek, right? Derek has really been the driving force of our church for, since its inception. And, and so now as, as we're coming out of that and we're, and we're coming away from Derek, we're kind of asking ourselves this question, what does it mean to be a part of Grace Life Church? What does it look like? When I, when I tell someone that I'm here, what does that really mean? For me, you know, I joined in some of the very early, earliest days. And one of the things that struck Kelly and I as we were uh, evaluating you know, churches to be a part of early on in our marriage, uh, you know, the message here has always been that we're about, we're about small connections, small groups. The, the, the Sunday morning is important, right? We want to be great at this. 
I mean, I know that we have amateur preachers here, um, but, but we want to be good at this. But more importantly than this, we want to we want to go. We want to take this and we want to go out. We believe that ministry happens in small groups and in smaller sections because this is not an opportunity where you can really get to the level of connection uh, that we would like people to get to. And that was one of the things that really draw us to the church. Drew us to the church was that we wanted that in our lives, not just for ourselves, but also for our kids. And, and so as we think about these kind of things that are converging right now, that we're coming out of COVID and that we're looking for kind of a new, new identity of a church, we realize we're not looking for a new identity. We're looking to get back to what draws us together here in the first place. And it's that small group focus of being together with one another. So this morning, I, I'd just like to share with you that, that over the next coming weeks, and as, as Randy talked about this morning and as I talked, we're going to be sharing with you a lot about the things that are coming up, the small group opportunities, the ministries that are happen, happening, the things that you can be a part of, whether to serve or to be served in. But I want to ask you that if there's something within you that you feel like there's something not happening, right? If you've looked at our small group schedule, if you've looked at the things that we have going on in our church, and you're like, this is all good, but it's just not for me. Or I just can't, I see this thing happening in my community, and man, wouldn't it be great if there were some people that got together to serve this group of people? Or, or wouldn't it be great if there was a way that we could connect and really get together with other people in this manner? If there's something like that within you, come and talk to us. Right? That, that's what we're about. We, we want new ways of connection, new ways of ministry, new ways of growth. Because that, that's the way forward. We're, we're not, we're not um, about programs. We're not about trying to come up with new initiatives. We want to serve the church in its most meaningful way with the understanding that that changes. Right? With the understanding that season to season, as, as your family ages, or as your kids move out of the house, or you get married, or you have a kid, or, or these life events that happens, we understand that as a church, we need to be there to minister to people just where they're at. And this focus isn't just about developing and growing our congregation as it is right now, which is important to us. But we believe that it's the key, it's what people are looking for. Because if we feel this way, this relational hunger building up within us, we know that it's in our community. And so we want to be the place where people can see it happening in real life and envision themselves in the same circumstance. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to be a part of it. We're in a new season. We're in a new season of growth, of change. We're looking to get into our own building. We're, we're looking to find our way forward together, and we're looking to draw near to our community in new and meaningful and powerful ways, in the ways that we've done in the past. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come together. We thank you for this uh, passage that in the moments of crisis, in the moments of, tr- of struggle in our own lives, when we can't find the right words to say, Lord, you provide them for us, the psalm that speaks on our behalf. I pray that when we find ourselves in these times, that we would turn to the scriptures and that we would turn to you in truth and in honesty. I thank you for the season that we're in. I thank you for the people that are represented here. And as we go ahead into this new season, I pray that you would guide and direct our steps. That the missions and the initiative of this church wouldn't be self-serving, but that it would be to advance your kingdom and the gospel in all things. I pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.